Hi, you are listening to High Value Women, brought to you by the New Feminist magazine. We are your hosts, Ellie Massiera Fielding. And it's everyone's favourite saggy bottom, Adam Sarasvati Rawlings. <laughs> Did you just saggy bottom? <laughs> no, soggy bottom, because we had <laughs> a guest who was on Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent job. <laughs> Firstly, Happy New Year to everybody, because this is going to launch, obviously, in the new year. Um, can't believe it's 2024, mostly because we're coming from the past and it's not, but <laughs> crazy. Um, we are so excited because we're kicking off the first episode of the year with a very, very special guest. We're so excited. Um, you might know her from the Great British Bake Off or her wonderful podcast, Go Love Yourself. It's Laura Adlington. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Happy oh, thank you for being here. So I feel like we should just dive straight in with the Femi Facts. Okay, should we go for it? Yeah, you are our guest, so start us off, Laura. Okay, so my Femi fact is, uh, I don't know if this is common knowledge or not, so I apologise if everyone already knows this, but uh, I didn't realise that, like, female grooming and shaving in particular was a thing uh, until basically the Second World War. So basically, uh, during the war effort, the factories uh, that were like used to make like nylon stockings were needed to make like parachutes and other equipment for the army um and so gillette uh, basically kind of saw that opportunity to capitalize on that women's insecurities and say okay well if you can't wear nylon stockings and you're going to bare your legs you have to shave them because you're basically gross if you don't and that's what started the whole like women shaving their legs and armpits thing because up until that point they pretty much just left it alone um so yeah thank you patriarchy <laughs> that's crazy i mean like i knew that it was like a relatively new thing i just didn't know why so that's that's mad it's just a big old like scam yeah. really, isn't it? <laughs> no yeah. oh no it really is i mean like we all know about like the pink tax by now i'm sure like men's yeah. razors are so much cheaper than razors assigned to women which is ridiculous that they're even gendered but yeah i know they're, they're and they're shit quality as well like most of the women's razors are on the shelves in in the high street i mean you pay as you say double the price they're shitty pink plastic things and they're not even <laughs> any good no um, they're not it's just no it's ridiculous honest. I got one, I invested in one that was like supposed to be made for like your pubic region, basically. Yeah. And it just didn't, I was like, it didn't cut. I was oh. like, I think it's supposed to be gentle, but it was a bit too gentle. Oh, okay. You need oh, to try, you need to try estrid razors. They're amazing, uh, like genuinely amazing. Um, And they're female owned and they like, they're really reasonable price, uh, but they're really, really good. And I love all their messaging as well. Like they're very kind of like gender neutral and very like really empowering and inspiring, like branding and stuff. Like they're really good. They're, they're like, they're all about like autonomy. So they'll be like, they'll show actual like body hair and like long body hair on like men and women and be like, it's your choice. Like, you know, beautiful. Before, oh, I love that. After. Anyway, they're really good. I like the brand and they're really genuinely good razors. It's not, oh, a I'm, not I'm not sponsored by them or anything. <laughs> And this episode is really sponsored good. by. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if they want to, like, um, no, hey, that sounds me. great. I sort of feel like um, just going with the hairy route now, anyway. To be honest, I can't be bothered. Mine's about <laughs> her too, actually. My Femi Four is about is her. That's it. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. Yeah. What's yours? 
So it's about the ethics of human hair extensions. So mm. this is something that I've known about for a while and it's been on my mind because we haven't really covered it before on the part of the magazine. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that use human hair extensions or wigs, I would seriously advise having a little look at where that hair comes from and be prepared for finding very murky information. So I think as we talked about on one of our previous episodes about the ongoing situation in Congo, obviously we're filming this a little filming this, recording this a little bit in advance. So we don't know how that's developed in the new year. But obviously parts of the world that are less developed than the Western world, a lot of natural resources are exploited by Western companies. And one of those resources is literally human hair. Mm. That's taken from countries like Brazil and Malaysia and India and uh, Vietnam and literally sold to the Western hair market um, so that human hair extensions are cheap and affordable. And so just for those of you that are partaking in that, I just want to, this little PSA, be careful, check out your sources and do a little bit of your own homework. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hair, hair. problematic. getting real mm. hairy this episode. We are. <laughs> Oh, great. That's a really, well, not great, but that's a really funny fact, I mean. Um, nice little through line. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's my go. So did you know, I saw, okay, full credit to the creator, by the way, um, Izzy's Inc. I saw this on come up on TikTok the other day. Did you know that 44,000 years ago, women in Southern Africa may have accidentally made the first calendar by tracking their cycles? Um, oh, so yeah, African oh, women so cool. make, have been the first mathematicians as well because keeping track of menstrual cycles requires a lunar calendar. Um, so yeah, they found these. I don't know what it was, so I'm not gonna say what object, but it was carved into it like a calendar basically that tracks their cycles. And this creator, Izzy, um, talked about how it's very cool and powerful that women might be like the original timekeepers. Um, and how this was a fun fact as well that the moon and our cycles um, are actually quite like synced up like it's the moon cycles around earth 13 times uh, and last about 28 days which is roughly the on average obviously everybody's different roughly the same as our cycles and um, because we adhere to a Roman calendar so we have like Augustus August uh, Julius Caesar July um and we have sort of random, like a random amount of days in certain months um, because of the Roman calendar. If we were to actually stick to like a lunar cycle, we'd have 13 months with exactly 28 days in each month. Um, but still obviously 365 days a year, which I thought was really, really weird. Like if they just left women to do it, mm. we wouldn't have to like mess about with these like 31, 30 days, 28 days nonsense. Isn't that kind of true though of like, in most cultures, it's actually women that tend to be the ones that should like pass down traditions and stories and beliefs. And mm. despite, particularly obviously coming from like my background of like religious studies, um, we talk about religion being really patriarchal. It's actually typically women in the household that actually pass on the traditions of cultures to their children. So in the sense of women being timekeepers, it's very true to just what we observe in the world. Yeah, we're walking around with a inbuilt clock. So it's very interesting. Um, really interesting concept but yeah the creator is Izzy's income definitely check her out I think she's a writer and she creates like really cool content speaking of writers speaking of writers <laughs> we have to say Laura we're absolutely obsessed with your book like oh, thank you we so much. adored it um so 
for those of you who don't know or maybe aren't aware, Laura's just brought out a book called Diet Starts Monday, all about diet culture and body image. Um, and it's just amazing. So we're basically just going to be talking about it um, and just like discussing our thoughts on it and just talking about body image in general. Yeah, so why don't we, I just want to dive in first of all, like me and Ellie would text each other back and forth so we were reading the book, being like, wow, this is like so amazing. And something that jumped out at us that we made, like, you know, we want to make sure there's a note of this that's included in the podcast is just how inclusive and how well-researched the book is. It was really moving to see that you made a real conscious effort to talk about differences between different body sizes and between different cultural backgrounds and racial backgrounds and inclusivity for disabled individuals. And I think that that intersectionality, I mean, we're an intersectional magazine, so obviously me and Ellie were like, oh, we love this. Um, what Was it a conscious decision to really dive into writing Diet Sats Monday with an intersectional approach or is it something that kind of naturally came as you started to work on it? Um, I think it, it came fairly natural to me because, I mean, it aligns with my beliefs and, and who I am as a person and my principles. Um, but I definitely wanted it to be as inclusive as possible. And I think, um, you know, I, I can't speak for, for anybody who's experienced, you know, um, racism, for example. But I just know that having grown up in a, in a bigger body, I know what it's like to be othered, not to the extent of, of people, you know, other people, disabled people, um, or, or, or people of colour. Uh, so I'm not trying to kind of say that in, in any way. But um, I think growing up, feeling quite marginalised and othered for my body, I sort of know what that's like. And so that was really important for me to have that. And I'm also just really big on representation. I think represent- representation is so important, because you know, when we don't see ourselves reflected in the world around us, that says a lot about who who we are, and and we, uh, you know, we we associate that kind of invisibility with undesirability. So yeah, that was um um a big thing for me, and I'm I'm glad you picked up on it. Thanks. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's hard not to yeah, especially you know, especially right. doing what we do. Um, it's and in fact, what stood out a lot in your book like near the beginning is when you were talking about invisibility and the sort of like power that that has and how like loud it is basically um about how not including people can can make such an impact Um, yeah I always say like it's there's a certain irony in that like bigger people like fat people we're both invisible and hyper visible in the sense that in societies like terms of society's values we are well we might as well be invisible and yet when you walk down the street or you're on public transport, you might as well have a big sign on your head and, you know, you kind of, you're wearing it and people can see it and they judge you for it. Um, and that's tricky. It's, it's hard to navigate the world uh, as a fat person, especially mm. a very, you know, a very large person. Um, and I think that's what I wanted to do with the book is really kind of talk about what it's like. And it's not a worries me uh, piece at all, which I'm hoping you'll agree on. It's just basically saying this is what it's like and this is how hard it is and this is what we have to deal with and I don't think many people realize it and I think it can feel it's not true but it can sometimes feel like fat phobia or anti-fat bias is the last acceptable form of prejudice um because you know people are just so willing to kind of call out fat people because they see it as a choice um and a personal a moral failing as such um and that's really what I wanted to why I wanted to write Diet Starts Monday because I feel really passionately that it isn't always a choice and that we're not lazy and slovenly and we don't need to be fixed and actually we deserve dignity and respect just like everybody else. 
absolutely absolutely um, it was actually such a valid dating read I think because so yeah. many of these like books that are sort of focused on body image they promise you so much and you go in and you think that it's going to be a place of like uh, acceptance or love or comfort or at least information that is helpful and not like rooted in a bunch of stigma um, and so often you're let down because either um, as I'm sure we'll talk about it's maybe like overly positive and you have the yeah. you know too strong a uh, body positive thing and you just end up feeling crap about yourself because you're just like well I don't feel like this and I don't think I ever can um, or it's it kind of tricks you into diet culture I don't know if you've ever picked up a book and it's mm supposed to be like body positive and then it just talks about diet culture like encourages you to try things yeah this is not what I was expecting but with yeah. yours I was like I feel so validated like this is the first time I picked up something and it's exactly what I was hoping it would be which oh that really means <laughs> a lot thank you I'm so pleased as well because I think yeah like I said I wanted to really talk about like my experience but also just you know generally what we have to kind of put up with and endure so that people felt like they could relate but also just to say that you know like I don't have it all figured out and I mm. think that there was a big part of me I'm not actually said this before exclusive Ooh. um <laughs> there was a part of me that felt like I had to lose weight to plug in order to kind of plug the book and for the book to be more successful and that made me really sad because I was thinking like oh because I feel like that would have got pressed because it would have been like, oh, buy Laura's book. It's a magical, you know, cure to whatever mm. to, to lose weight. And then I realized that's not what it's about at all. Obviously, it's about giving a middle finger to diet culture and living your best life just as you are. And mm. I would not be true to myself if if I wasn't doing that. So I've, I've definitely got over that. Um, but what I really wanted to kind of emphasize in the book was that you don't have to love yourself and love every inch of your cellulite mm. and stretch marks and you know hairy face and all of that and I think sometimes we get sold this lie about what body positivity is um and, and I I just yeah I kind of am a bit anti that really because the body positivity movement was founded in the like the 1960s and 70s um and it was all around it was like it was a it was a movement and it was around equal rights for fat queer disabled black women predominantly um, and it was about justice it was about saying like we deserve rights and respect just like everybody else um and then it kind of went quiet for a little bit and then it wasn't really until the 90s and early noughties that brands started to kind of go oh we can capitalize on this and then it got whitewashed um, and then it got commercialized and which is a shame really so now when people think of body positivity they think oh it's i have to love myself and i i actually i don't think that is not only is that unachievable, it's unrealistic. Mm. Um, I don't look in the mirror every day and love my stomach or my fupa or my, my, my arms. But I think that's that's what I'm trying to really get across in the book is that you don't have to. And for me, leaning into body neutrality, which is more like I have a body and so does everyone else. It doesn't matter what I look like. You just have to try and accept it. Um, and I think that was life changing for me that sounds dramatic but it really was life changing for me to say that like I don't have to change myself I don't have to love myself but you also don't have to hate yourself either like life's there's more to life than that so don't do that so try and lean into the just accepting who you are in the present and living living the best life that you can yeah yeah I really absolutely. feel that, that came across I feel like kind of backing onto what Ellie said earlier as well I am always very apprehensive of books that I perceive to be like a self-help book 
Yeah. Because I always tend to find that they're quite holier than thou and I've got everything absolutely figured out and you need to. And reading Diet Starts Monday, it really, it felt like I was almost having like a conversation with a person that I knew and Aww. that I yeah, trusted. big sister energy, Razzle. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, something that me and Ellie talked about a few days ago is for me as someone who's in the queer community, I identify as non-binary and I'm a larger person as well. Like the politicization of my body is just rife and you can't escape mm-hmm. it. And I imagine. Yeah, and the fact that your book puts so many things into context about, particularly the chapter about movement and recontextualizing mm-hmm. movement and intuitive movement, those are so healing for me because I always associated things like exercise with hypermasculinity and gender dysphoria. Um, because when I was in school, it was you go play rugby and football. That's what the boys do. Because I didn't really feel like a boy. Yeah. I didn't really understand what that meant. Yeah, that chapter was particularly healing for me. So I'm just very grateful that you sort of had the initiative to, well, write such a wonderful book. Frankly, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's so lovely to hear. And yeah, I must admit that was that's one of my favourite chapters as well because um, I, I grew up thinking that exercise was a punishment and it was for me, me it too. was a, um, me too <laughs> yeah so it sounds like uh, you know I don't want to put words in your mouth but it sounds like for you Adam it was like to kind of a way to like like toughen you up or like be one of the boys exactly and for me it was a way to like to punish me to lose to lose weight um and to to be smaller and to be more feminine and like one of the girls um and actually it's and and that's the thing like what you said earlier as well I haven't got it all figured out I still have a complex relationship with exercise I am not someone who wants to get up and go to a gym and I and I never probably will and that, I think it's about saying that's okay but it's mm. about finding other ways of moving your body and the impact that it can have on your mental health your sleep your just overall wellness rather than thinking oh I, I need to lose weight or I need to earn food which so many of us have 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 thought of exercises for such a long time thanks to diet culture but it doesn't have to be like that and like yeah I'm still I'm still figuring it out but that was a really interesting chapter to research um and I've got to thank Tally Rye who uh is an intuitive movement personal trainer for talking to me about that um because that was a real eye-opener for for me as well and hopefully for for other people yeah I was I really fixated on the pendulum I think was that Tally as well yeah I was so fixated on that. I've never felt so seen because I'm definitely an all or nothing person. Like I grew up very much um, with, I don't think my mum will mind me saying this because she's on her own journey, but um, very like diet culture obsessed environment. Um, So I had this very all or nothing, like literally diet starts Monday mentality. (laughs) Um, And so to see the like swing to like rejecting diet culture and then realizing that there is actually a middle ground was like oh my god and I also felt myself on my own journey sort of getting closer to that and like feeling like oh I do kind of want to move today but not for weight related reasons just because I want to and I thought that's what this is which is amazing that was a real like revolutionary moment I think in the book yeah it's like an (laughs) aha moment for me yeah yeah yeah, I think, and, and for anyone listening that's kind of wondering what on earth we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> thank then, you. <laughs> no, no, I, was gonna, I was just going to explain that the, um, so the, the, there's a pendulum when we think of exercise and diet as well. Um, to, to the left-hand side, and if we kind of swing to the left, it's when we're restricted, we're using exercise as a punishment, a way to punish ourselves or our own food, and when we don't have the, the best or the healthiest relationship with it. Um, and then 
at the other end of it is the kind of what Tally calls the fuck it phase where you kind of reject the diet mentality and you maybe eat less you know nutrient dense food um you're not moving your body and you're not really taking care of yourself and then obviously in in the kind of middle ground and where we want to be is where you're nourishing your body you're feeling good you're moving because it makes you feel good uh, and for your overall health Uh, but she what she's saying is that you can't get to that middle ground without going through the fuck it phase first and it's really really important that you do that and again it's i think one of the things I really wanted to do with the book, like it's interesting that you were saying earlier that it felt validating is, is to validate it because I was stuck in the fuck it phase for such a long time and felt guilt and shame about it. And I really wanted to remove that guilt and shame for anyone else and say like, actually it's perfectly normal. Like you're okay. It's a step in the, in the journey. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And we're all mm. like, you said, we're all on our own journeys. Your mum's on her own journey. My mum was exactly the same as you always on a diet, always criticizing herself. Like, uh, Mine too. you know, um and it wasn't really until I started doing my podcast she started listening to that and I sat her down one day and I said to her like mom I love you um and I'll always support you in whatever you do but I really really need you to stop telling me about what diet you're on and how much weight you've lost this week and then how you've binged and put it all back on because I find it really triggering and I'm really working on trying to make peace with food and like that isn't helping and I'm really lucky I know that other people maybe not won't have that same relationship with their mum she obviously was a bit sensitive to it and was like, oh, I'm a terrible mum. And I was like, no, you're not. You're a great mum. But it really helped. And it helped our relationship as well because I realised as well through doing my podcast and researching for the book that she is as much of a product as diet culture as I am. And that was like, oh, that was such a light bulb moment for me as well, because I thought, actually, like, we do need to kind of give our mums a little bit of slack and maybe provide them with a bit of education as well, if we can, um, because they grew up like with like we grew up with terrible toxic messaging and the noughties and stuff like that. But they also did in, you know, like the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. Um, so I think that was also really important for me to to add to the book is to kind of say, like, go easy on your mum a bit if you can. If she's a dick, obviously, tell her to. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I literally had such, like, almost identical conversation with my mum who had an almost identical, like, response. Oh, really? I, yeah, I had to be like, mum, like, I've, I've just, I can't. But then there comes the concern as well, like, well, I'm just worried, da, 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 which is why I love that you had responses in your Yes. Book. I was like, I am going to use these. These are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so it's so true about like because I feel like I was unnecessarily harsh to my mum like on reflection for like right. not getting it um and really do you think doing like writing the book and doing the research on the sort of timeline of like body trends and like do you think that um maybe enlightened you a little bit is that what made you think or oh, maybe be kinder to, <laughs> to the older generation because I didn't realize yeah. really yeah, and I think also just sort of realizing that, you know, they grew up. Well, my mum grew up um, in the like Twiggy era, where that was that was the beauty standard, mm. and, and that was tough, really. And and writing that bit about body trends just it made me realize oh, just how fucking ridiculous they are because Preach. we 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 can lose you know you know weight or whatever sustaining it and keeping it off is another thing again talk about that in the book but you cannot physically change your body shape like you 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 just can't and i will never be twiggy and so people trying to make me do diets and and give me clothes that make me look like that it's just ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous so they they did have it really tough and i think they also had it tougher because 
you know, we have, like, I curate my social media feed within an inch of its life. And sometimes I worry that I live in a bit of an echo chamber of, like, you know, body positive or body confidence babes or whatever. But I'd much prefer that than, you know, the alternative. But they yeah. didn't have a, a mute button or an unfollow button or the, the opportunity to curate it. They were just given it in magazines, especially mm. on TV and radio. They were just fed this garbage. And there was no one really kind of questioning it or no kind of online space to question it. And while we we give the internet a really bad reputation and sometimes deservedly because it can be a cesspit of humanity um on the whole largely i found it to be a really like wonderful and you know like community and and, and a, a an inclusive space i think it's just how you how you use it um but yeah the like our mums and and previous generations like they didn't have that so that's why i also think we need to go a little bit easier on them and maybe just try with a bit of education but that said i also think it's really important I mean, and last year I cut off certain family members who made me feel like shit about myself. Wow. That was one of the hardest things I've I've done. Um, but they didn't. They thought I was promoting obesity with what I was doing, and then I thought, I can't, I can't. I, I get it bad enough from trolls. I can't. I've tried to to tell you what I do and what I stand for, and if you can't understand that, then I don't think that it's, this is going to be a relationship. So I also think it's really, really important to set boundaries and cut toxic people out of your life if you need to. That's rough as well. Like, because yeah. I think it hurts more with with family. Like, yeah. I was literally just on my on the phone to my mum. Sound like I'm mum obsessed. I'm not just <laughs> on the phone to my mum before this. Nice. And I was I was saying um, that you know when I started to gain weight, I I wasn't I didn't quite mind like going out in public yet at this point, but. To family I was like I'm just not going I'm busy I can't like because I knew that the judgment there it hurts so much worse doesn't it yeah because so... it's it's the people that are supposed to make you feel safe mm. and mm. it can be so disheartening I mean I'm sure my mum wouldn't mind me saying this um so me and my mum are very close we have a very healthy relationship but her relationship with her mum is the complete opposite and I think that honestly if if my grandmother wasn't as old as she is now my mum probably would have been a lot better for cutting her off a lot earlier because she only makes her feel like crap and it's really difficult when that's you know your parent but I think that kind of going back to what you said about be going easier on your mum like absolutely we need to I think that for us we also need to realize that our mothers were daughters as well yeah and that sometimes the the diet culture voice in their head might actually be their own mother or father or partner or whoever yeah it's very true and also that i think our mums inherit kind of food trauma as well and that again that's not her fault like my mum grew up with not not quite food poverty but definitely food scarcity like she sometimes would have to eat like raw potatoes because there was nothing in the house and so she had this fear of being hungry and I think so she overcompensated with me and my brother me especially and was constantly like trying to like feed us so I think again like it came from a place of like like love and trying to make up for what she had yeah. been through. so again it makes sense now and I you know I say this in the bit but I, I don't resent my mum and dad I think there was no kind of manual or guidance back then on how to raise a fat kid and what what to do so I, I get it they did their best I had a really good childhood it was just the food and the weight thing and they know they made mistakes and we've had conversations about it but I think that's the most important thing is that you have conversations about it because then it 
if I didn't know that my mum grew up in food scarcity and, and, and had feelings like that and was, you know, told by her mum certain things, then I maybe wouldn't be as kind of forgiving or, you know, understand and accepting. And we're, we're all learning, aren't we? We're all on a journey. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's so true. That is so true. Um, I loved some of the definitions um, in your book. I think a, a few of them I had heard of, some I hadn't, but I would love to like go through a couple of them. One of those definitions was um, anti-fat bias instead of um, fat phobia. Do you want to explain? Yeah, explain a a little bit about that. Yeah, I found that really interesting. Um, So um, there's an amazing author and fat activist in the US called Aubrey Gordon. um, And she's a real hero of mine. She started off writing uh, out under the pseudonym Your Fat Friend. I really recommend you read her blog and her book. She's got two books out, I think another one on the way. Um, And she, I think she wrote an essay about this where she was basically saying that we kind of, we're, almost belittling it or not doing it sort of service enough to call it fat phobia because a lot of people don't have a fear of fat people or a fear of fatness if they, they just hate them um and actually we we kind of need to just get rid of this uh thing but then i do think that goes for other kind of like minority groups as well that some people aren't afraid of gay people they just hate them and they're Period. <laughs> Um, and so we <laughs> exactly took a middle finger up to them. Um, but it was just an, yeah, just an interesting take on it for me. I love language. Like I did an English degree, like English. Oh, same. Uh, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I just think it's interesting. I, I try not to get too hung up on, um, labels, but that one was interesting to me. Um, and then also just talking about the word fat as well, mm. uh, because that's so powerful. Like it's such a small word and yet it has so much power, um, because we give it so much power i think and we've been sort of conditioned to think of it as something that's cruel where actually i describe myself as fat because i am and i think the more we kind of try and neutralize that and you know describe people as fat in a way that we describe people as brunette or tall i think that sort of for me it feels like taking back the power a little bit um yeah rather than waiting for it to be slung at us like as an insult that's mm. something that I'm still trying to work on really is because I am fat, but I mean, like I even pause then to say the word mm. it's like, because it does have a lot of power and that word gets thrown around in such a negative way, despite the fact that linguistically it should really just be a neutral term. Yeah. So that's something that I've been trying to work on. And your book really inspired me to actually start recontextualizing how I feel just about the word fat, um, which mm. I'm really grateful for um, in my experience of reading it, because it is important to recontextualize yeah and it's hard like I think I say this in the book but I also still like I don't mind calling myself fat because I am I've kind of gotten to a comfortable place with that but if someone else calls me it I do like and it's not in a nasty way like don't get me wrong if someone's going to call me a whatever then that's nasty and that's going to hurt but if someone describes me as fat like it's still I still go oh and then I go oh yeah okay no I need to just sit with that a little bit so yeah it is a process but um yeah I'm glad that um that's like helped you because I think like I say like it, again we need to kind of re- reclaim and take that 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 power and use it as a neutral descriptor as much as we can because it's not a dirty word being fat is not a, a bad thing we're just told that it is and we're told that we're a bane on society and on the NHS but like I said right at the beginning like it's not our fault like it isn't always a choice and I really want that message to come across Mm, yeah I mean yeah that has just has so much I mean the way it's been used especially in 
the media by the media how it's been thrown about so like aggressively and you know used within the insults I mean it it is really hard as a person to like reclaim it and be like uh uh, that hurts but also I need to like register it but um me and Adam we were actually talking about like the the references you made to like media and film and tv in your book because we are huge like pop culture people we 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 love talking about it we had it yeah, we did a whole episode on um, like America's Next Top Model, just talking about oh, how wow. like messed up yeah. it was. And then we did another one about like fat families and that sort of stuff. Uh, makeover shows. <laughs> so yeah. we like obsess over like analyzing it and like picking it apart. But I I wanted to ask um, like how you think the media representation impacts body image and the way we view ourselves. Really good question. Um, and I think um i think up until like when i was younger i never saw myself represented on tv or like films or even in magazines unless that person was being made fun of so what you often see is fat people being like the sidekick or the funny friend or the unlovable one and we're never the main character and we're generally the butt of the joke and when you see that and you you take that in it does have an effect on you because you basically feel like you are a piece of shit and it makes you feel like you're undesirable, unworthy. Um, and it just reinforces that notion that fat is bad and thin is good. And the only way to get, you know, a boyfriend, a good job, uh, you know, a successful, happy life is to look a certain way. And it, it's not just women. It's for, it's for men as well. Like just as Disney princesses all have snatched waists and chiseled jaws, all of the men have like six packs. Or like, sorry, all of the superheroes have six packs and a chiseled jaw and, you know, a seemingly large penis. Um, so it affects, it affects, you know, men and, and women. So yeah, it has a big impact. And I think the media has a lot to to answer for. One of the biggest things that really um, boils my piss, sorry for want of a better phrase, (laughs) is the the way that the media talks about and uh, shows images of obese people. and it's them walking down the street with like a too small a top on, eating an ice cream, getting it down themselves. Um, any kind of stock images or videos that are used portray fat people. They literally crop their heads off. There's a, it's actually oh, they, the headless, they yeah. it the headless yeah. fatty. Yeah. And it just dehumanizes us. And like, you can argue that it's to protect privacy, but it, it's not just that. It dehumanizes us and it makes us a laughing stock. And I, I I just you'll see it now like more when you watch the telly and stuff and, and other like you know documentaries and stuff and you'll kind of be like oh god that is so bad but we've done it for so long and I think I think things are changing but I do think like the media has and there's so many research studies to, to prove that the media and the you know the, the the way that that people are portrayed and it's not just fat people it's people of all walks of life are portrayed it has a direct Im- Im- impact on how we feel about ourselves. And that's why it's so important. Yeah, we always talk about, um, me and Adam always talk about uh, fat Monica in Friends, which I, kn- I know you mentioned in the in the book, yeah. because we always say we're literally like <laughs> bigger than the than fat Monica. So it just like, even though we love the show, like looking at that now, it's like, oh man. Like... It does, every time I watch it back, it makes me wince a little bit. Yeah, oh, me too. It's yeah. awful, isn't it? I think the fact that like the jokes, like the, all the fat jokes, were dreadful. But the thing that's 
the worst thing is that she was a completely different person when she was fat. Like, yeah. They made her clumsy. They made her unlovable. They made her stupid. And yet, like Monica, you know, like, oh, how do I say this? Not normal Monica, as in like, um, and yet like the Monica that we normally Canonical see. Monica. Yeah is like really intelligent really organized really clean and you know a bit of a kind of like yeah like really organized basically very type a yeah type a um yeah yeah she's a completely different person when she was bigger which is just like not real (laughs) that's just not what yeah it's ridiculous it's crazy isn't it yeah and i think that with those representations i get really frustrated because it kind of makes me it makes me police how I behave sometimes. And I've got better this as I've got older. Um, definitely a lot better now. But when I was a bit younger, even when I wasn't as big as I am now, but when I was told that I was big by sort of the standards that I saw in culture around me, I would get really nervous about, well, I need to be organized. And I need to always be really put together. And I need to do this and I need to do that. And I need to force myself into acts in ways that don't even feel like me. Because if I don't, then people think I'm lazy, slob, and I'm fat. And like those are the things that would just run through my head. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of us do that. It's actually, there's a term in the fat liberation movement called uh, being the good fatty. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, it's so, so common in those of us that are uh, in bigger bodies. We try and overcompensate by being like the funny one or the maternal one or the generous one. I've certainly done that. Um, and I was always described as bubbly, which is obviously code for fat um, throughout like my whole life. And I realize now, like, I'm actually, I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually more of an introvert, but I just felt like I had to be like the, you know, the kind bubbly one. Um, and similar in a similar way to you, I always felt like I had to have like perfect hair and perfect makeup and a really nice dress on. And I still struggle with that a little bit, but I think what I try and do now is go like, no, I, I feel better if I've, you know, put a bit of makeup on. I'm doing it for me, not for anybody else, or because I feel I have to. And that's the, that's the big difference, I think. Um, but yeah, it is it is hard. And I think so, so many people probably listening to this will relate to that and think, oh yeah, I do that as well. But knowing that you do that and then like that's the first, you know, step, isn't it, to then hopefully not doing it anymore or doing it a bit less. And it's just about kind of embracing that uncomfortable feeling of, you know, when you think, oh, I should really have a salad, could people are gonna judge me? No, have what you want. And it might be a bit uncomfortable the first, you know, time or the first few few times. And then you'll actually kind of get used to it and you'll get more confident you know in your own skin and you realize actually i can have what i want and i can do what i want i don't yeah. need to answer to anyone speaking felt... of salads sorry Ellie. no 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 you mm. go you just brought up something that really frustrates me so i actually have the nickname in my family as the salad queen because i just make amazing salads yeah. um i mean i'm a really good home cook in general ellie knows it so like i like to chef oh, it up gourmet. <laughs> oh man i need to come for dinner oh please do i love cooking for people it's my favorite thing in the world i love literally Food is my favorite thing to talk about, read about, because I just find it so fascinating. I love the history of it, where things come from, all of that. But anyway, I remember very distinctly, I was on a date many years ago, and I made me notice this. And I wanted a salad because I I like them. I like a lot of fresh vegetables. And the guy I was on a date with was like, oh, look at you being good having a salad. And I was like, first of all, that's so patronizing. It's like, I'm yeah. not a dog. I don't need to be told by a good <laughs> good little you. Yeah. But it's so frustrating that then it's like, you double guess again, because it's like, well, if I want to reject all this diet culture that's being inflicted on me, but then I want to eat something that is like considered a health food. Yeah. 
it's like I'm not doing it because it's good in a sort of diet culture sense it's good because I like it yeah well I think you've you've answered your own question like you're eating salad because it's lovely like and it can be really nice I think like a bunch of lettuce leaves on its own is not obviously appealing no, that's I <laughs> love salad and I love fruit and I love vegetables like love them and sometimes more so in the summer I will just crave salads and fruit yes and, yeah and I think like again we this is this is how fuck diet culture is and how much of an impact it's had on us when you can't even feel like you can enjoy a salad without thinking you're being good or without someone else telling you that you're being good food does not make us like good or bad and food isn't good or bad it's you know can be more nutritious than others but they're all of equal value like my stepmom always used to say to me some food is good for your you know your heart your lungs your your brain and some food is good for the soul and I think that's such a, a you know a nice attitude to have. Um, again, I'm still really working on my relationship with food. Like I definitely have like I would say like disordered eating, but yeah, I love salad. And I think sometimes you just need to just say like, no, I'm eating salad because it's yummy and it because it tastes good, not because you feel yeah, like you have exactly. to. Yeah, exactly. So true. It's it's hard. It's really hard because we've always been told that that's the good option. It's the mental gymnastics of it all. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it really is. That, yeah. No, it's so relatable because I like. I, when I would go out on like dates when I was dating I would just like not eat I felt so called out when in your relationship but you were like eat (laughs) that bit I was like (laughs) (laughs) you really try and hide yourself and like and what you eat because you just I mean we just don't want to deal with what other people have to say really and I think that is the struggle because I think as the bigger person in the room you also have to be the bigger person like mentally you have to be stronger you have to be able to like you know walk with your head held high which I think is really really hard so it's harder Mm. for us in so many ways Mm. but definitely that because most of the time when I'm out I'm like I really want the burger please (laughs) yeah (laughs) I have that you should have what you want yeah definitely definitely I imagine as well for you obviously we mentioned at the very beginning that you were on Bake Off Mm -hmm. um very exciting very envious I'm definitely more of a cook than a baker I have to say but I'm trying to get better that's one of my new year's resolutions actually is to bake more that's a good I have to isn't it just thank you I've got that and make more Mexican food those are my two right now <laughs> so when this comes out we'll see how much I've achieved in eight days <laughs> <laughs> but you talked very early on in the book about how when you were announced on the cast that immediately you got trolls straight away and you did say as well I believe that you were kind of expecting to get some hate um I'm curious to know that as someone whose sort of platform launched through a show about food um while you were going through the process of Bake Off did that recontextualize your relationship with food did it challenge it that is a really good question and oddly I've never been asked that before so thank you for asking that question um I don't think it did um I like you I've just always been a foodie like I love food I loved feeding people and I love saying to people like I've made this it's for you like enjoy it it was like my way of showing love oh it it's is a form language. of love yeah me too yeah. yeah um my yeah again my stepmom would always just say to feed someone is to love them uh and I think that's Couldn't so true more. um so yeah that that was always the case for me I think the only thing that it did was kind of make me hate baking because I was like, it's just, <laughs> it just so much. Like I was just doing it all the time and there's just so much ingredients, so much food. I hate wasting food. I think that's probably the only thing that I struggled with a little bit was like you were making things to practice with and it was during COVID so I couldn't necessarily give it to neighbours. 
So we ended mm. up eating loads of it and then like not feeling great. And then loads of it would go in the bin. And I was like, oh, it just made me feel a bit icky about wasting food and stuff like that. But I don't think it really altered my relationship with food so much. No, just made me hate bacon. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Is the relationship with baking improved now? I hope so. No, no. Oh. I, I'm really hoping it will come back. But I don't know if it's the trolling and people telling me I was shit on the show and like shouldn't have got to the final or whether it's just when you turn a hobby into something that's like not a hobby it's like a, almost a job it kind well, of sucks the fun out of it so i don't know what it is but yeah i don't really bake anymore first of all the people giving you hate for yeah, what are they on? the show first of all you could never like <laughs> like get cast and then you can talk and even then close your exactly. mouth <laughs> mind your business second of all it's like i do think it's okay to have things that we love for a season um, of our lives and then as we grow mm. as people interests come and go yeah um which is just no a natural part of life don't but encourage the adhd you... in me anyone that's still giving you beef for something that happened in 2020 literally tag me in the comment i will deal with them i'm, okay. I'm ready to go to battle deal all right Sorry, deal, full address unrelated <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing i haven't got sassy yet this episode so i felt like i needed to at some point oh i love the sass bring the sass adam i love it yeah um i think ellie gets a bit stressed sometimes (laughs) please don't cancel us (laughs) you can cancel me it's fine i'm waiting for it speaking of like being cancelled on social media and like the response you got for bake off obviously i can imagine thank you um i can imagine that um Putting yourself in the public eye is really like that's something I'm really scared to do, and I think that stops me doing a lot of things for the, for the magazine, for the podcast, etc. How was that for you? Like, what was the experience like for you? Yeah, I think for me, I sort of fell into it accidentally. Like, I never went on Bake Off thinking I was going to be doing this. Uh, genuinely, I went on because I love the show and I love baking. I I didn't. I just still don't really like reality TV. Um. And I never would have done anything else. I just really love the Bake Off. Um, and I think it was a bit scary to be, to begin with. But honestly, I just kept getting so many messages from women saying, how do you, where do you buy your clothes? That's kind of how it started. Then it was like, I've got no confidence. How are you, com- how did you get your confidence? Um, people were saying that they struggle with their weight or struggling with other people commenting on their weight. And I realised that actually I wasn't alone. I really felt very alone growing up. It was just... I don't know, like it was just me having this issue. Um, And then just speaking to other women online, I realized that there were so many of us that there was a wider conversation to be having. It was really scary at first. And there are still sometimes now I post content, I think, oh, that's a bit vulnerable. That's a bit, you know, on the mark. And on my podcast, I share things I maybe haven't even shared with family. I think it's really important I do it. And I think I will say the same to you because, you know, we've spoken about representation and, 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 I think it's so important that we hear people's voices and experiences that are similar to our own or and also dissimilar to our own so that we can like learn and grow and you are going to maybe you know upset some people or not resonate with some people but just think of the people that you will help and that's what I try and think of and keep in the back of my mind when I'm feeling a bit down or I get some you know dickhead troll online is actually like the people that I'm helping and making a difference to and that makes it worth it that's the yeah, that's the that's polite so, version so the true. un the un- unpolite impolite the impolite version is 
if I'm not sitting on your face and you're not paying my mortgage, you're not entitled <laughs> to an opinion. Period. I was just about to say this. If you're literally, <laughs> if you're that jobless that you need to post hate on anyone's social media, on anything that anyone True. does. Yeah. Like, get a yeah. job, get a hobby, get a grip. Yeah. It's not like... And I, I literally had a comment just before I joined the, the podcast recording from someone saying... um, I'm a bigger girl myself, but I don't think that you should be flaunting your stomach like it's a trophy. Um, obesity is a huge problem and you shouldn't be promoting it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I actually feel really sorry for you. Like, I didn't realise yeah. that I had a fucking trophy tattooed on my stomach. When I, was my belly. I thought I was just getting dressed. Like, oh, man. Um, it's just bizarre. But you got to feel sorry for them. Like, you want to see they're yeah. pathetic. Yeah. I, feel, I, I do think... feel bad for people who, who are bigger, who, who send a lot of hate because you think oh, because it's I, it's a reflection of them in how they feel about themselves really yeah, yeah. I, like, I, what I was saying was more towards men than towards other yeah, bigger women yeah, oh definitely yeah yeah what were you gonna a, say yeah it was a big surprise to me i knew i was gonna get hate from men because like god forbid you don't you know you don't they don't find you attractive and then all of a sudden just being you a woman on the internet it's gonna happen yeah um but what was actually quite sad for me was realizing or a friend actually told me who's also a plus size content creator she said to me, you'll be surprised at the amount of abuse you, abuse you get from other plus size women. And it's because they're like, well, I don't feel confident in myself. So how can you? And I find that really sad. And I think that is a slightly different, you know, we need to unpack that slightly different. Yeah, definitely. That's sad. And my hope is that at some point they'll get to a point where they don't feel the need to share hate and they can go, actually, like, that's helping me or... Uh, oh, I didn't realise I could wear that. Maybe I can, or maybe I can do this instead of thinking that they can't. Um, there's a lot of work to unpack. And again, I blame diet culture for that, not, not necessarily them. Yeah, no, I think it's really I've... mature attitude to have yeah. and yeah. very generous to have that attitude. Because I think that is definitely the truth. But it's also, it still must really sting to see that, especially when it's like people who, you know, like from your own sort of community. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, some days are better than others. Um, but I think growing up, fat you do forgive the pun but you do develop a thick skin to it and you do become resilient because you have yeah. to be and so yeah. like now i'm not saying it's water for ducks back because some of them do sting do hurt but i do you know what if i cared about what every little fucker online said i wouldn't get out of bed in the morning and like i'm not gonna do that i'm not gonna let them win so yeah, Here yeah. I, always, <laughs> I, I love I that mentality i think that's a really good message to like send yeah. out to because that's sort of why i was asking because i feel like we that's becoming more of a like popular conversation is how do you deal with hate like so many more people especially in our generation are like doing this as a career um and it's a real life like before that conversation was like only appropriate for like celebrities but now everybody feels it understands it so it's a real problem <laughs> it's, mm. it's really awful and I found as well that um which you sort of mentioned in your book that bigger people often have the worst anti-fat bias or can like or not even realize how bad it is um you know like how you were saying you took uh was it a test for work or something yeah I had to do um when I had my like nine to five I did unconscious bias training and it was really sometimes do you yeah um yeah it was really interesting to me because on like I I consider myself to be a very like inclusive person. I'm very, very principled and I just think we should all just be our authentic selves. Um, 
and so I always embrace that and so for every other thing I scored of as like not having high at all like it was very low or non-existent unconscious bias towards other like minority groups but for overweight people I scored like high and it said I was less likely to hire someone that was overweight um this was before to be fair this was before i did all the research the podcast like all the online stuff so i'd like yeah. to think that it'd be different now but it was just really interesting to me to know that and i think just again a sign of how inherently fat phobic we are and how we've been conditioned to think that fat is the worst thing that you can be mm. how it's the toxic messaging is just everywhere like yeah. and it's interesting it. because when i've done unconscious bias tests before I've like for other communities that I belong to so like for other Hindus I have a really positive bias for um other gay people queer people trans people I have a really positive bias like it's interesting that just from our own sort of personal experiences that within fat people because as you said it's like the last acceptable form of discrimination and it's so pervasive in our culture that it's one of the few places where our unconscious bias really does jump out against our own interests. Mm. I mean, obviously unconscious bias is always not, is all it needs to be worked through, but. Yeah. There's a great quote by Aubrey Gordon, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and she said, like, anti-fat bias, or fat phobia is like air pollution. Sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't, but we still breathe it in. Uh, oh, and, and it really so is all around us. And I think that's why you know, hopefully books like mine are important because we need to acknowledge it, first of all. We need to then unpack it. Um, but first of all, we need to actually look at how how pervasive it is in our society. Mm, because it is everywhere. It yeah. really is, yeah. Like, I loved how you did the sort of day, um, the sort of, not day in the, the life. The, but, but yeah. Yeah, when, when you experience it and how often and, you know, how it's sort of everywhere is a really good example of that. Um, I think that's why I loved the self-empowerment tasks that you have at the end of each yes, chapter. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about these. Life-changing. Like, I, some things you, you sort of, you, you don't realise can have such a great impact because some of them are thought exercises mm. but as soon as you start like thinking about it you really it really does have an impact um, the letter made me cry oh yeah well, like, in, in a good way oh good okay I'm glad yeah that was a very cathartic experience and I would recommend like I sort of say this in the intro of the book but I do recommend that you do the self-empowerment task as you go through the book and read it in order because I think that's really important and hopefully by the end of it like so I basically say to people at the beginning write a letter to your body how you feel about it now um and how you felt about it in the past and at the end of the book I'm saying right write another letter have has your attitude your opinion changed um and I hope for most people that have read it they will see a slight improvement in how they talk about themselves and how they feel about themselves and that will come across in their letter and again it's not about saying like I don't expect people and I think I wouldn't want someone to say I love myself now I'm you know every day I'm I'm at peace with myself and I'm doing great it's just about progress um uh, and it's very linear but I yeah I'm hoping that that will help people just to kind of yeah put down on paper like how they feel about their body and and how that's hopefully changed and, and improved um and also I think it's about looking back at your like childhood self and being a bit kinder to them and I always try and think now like when I'm being hard on myself like that I try and remind myself like I'm being hard on 
10 year old Laura who never felt good enough and she deserves more mm, yeah how do you feel like they've they've impacted you those tasks is is that are they something that you've sort of like made based on maybe like relevant revelations you've had in the past yeah definitely like even ones like um in the, the chapter about like the road to self-acceptance after I talk about body positivity and body neutrality and it's sort of saying like sometimes you know you have to like fake it till you make it and like sometimes I when I'm feeling like oh god like I've got imposter syndrome I can't do something I'll like try and channel my like inner Lizzo um or someone else who I oh I admire like Serena Williams and I go what would Serena do and I think well she wouldn't put up with this shit <laughs> um and then I kind of try and you know I, I go from there really so yeah no the self-empowerment tasks were, were, were something that I really sort of poured over for a long time and wanted to get right and I think sort of touching what you said earlier Adam I didn't want to be patronizing or them to be wishy-washy I wanted them to be meaningful and actually help so um yeah I'm really glad that you said that well I think they they definitely definitely were were. even just like reading through the book you sort of end up doing tasks like mental tasks that you don't realize you're doing I I read I forgot okay I don't remember what part but I remember having a flashback to a memory that I had locked away where with my ex-boyfriend I sent this sounds awful now but like (laughs) I would send him um pictures of celebrities at like different sizes so like um I remember sending like a picture of because this was in the 2010s so pictures of like Kim Kardashian um to be like is how is this too big how big's too big so that I would then know okay if he says that one I need to make sure that I, I stop there which is oh Ellie <laughs> it's awful it isn't out. it yeah. I mean I've grown a lot since then and I have a wonderful partner now but like it, it's it you don't realize do you until you actually unpack things yeah it's like therapy it isn't it it was like therapy for me writing it and doing the oh, bad it was. As, as well because like you know we've I'm sure, and I'm sure loads of people listening will relate to that Ellie like so you know I really appreciate your vulnerability and honesty there because we've yeah I'm sure we've all done things like and and felt things especially when it comes to relationships that we're like oh that's so cringe but you mm. you learn and you grow and then you know not you don't need to do that again you don't need to validate yourself you just sorry mm. you don't need anyone else to validate um your worth yeah, yeah. absolutely. I that's also love message. that because it's obviously it's a book I know that I'm going to go back to it again and again when I feel like I need to remind myself and I think that's kind of what's so powerful is that once you've read through the book you've you know you've got all that information there you've understood like you've understood it but you can obviously revisit it um so I think that's really powerful as well um because obviously (laughs) yeah basically and um I'm curious to know obviously you've had your platform for a while now and you've had your podcast as you said earlier for about two years what actually inspired you to sit down and think there needs to be a book so I was in Mexico in January 2022 and my husband had the worst food poisoning um, and it pretty much wiped him out the whole two week trip. So I had a lot of time on my hands and um, I took some books with me. I took, do you know what? I took Sophie Hagen's book, Happy Fat. That was the first book oh. that I read that made me feel seen and empowered and made me laugh as well. It's such a brilliant book. I really recommend it. And my husband joined me by the pool one day when he was feeling a little bit better and he was like you're right and I was like yeah I'm gonna write a book he was like ah 
And I was like, I'm going to write a book. I said, I don't care if only one person reads it or if it doesn't get published. I don't care. I just feel like I've got, I'm thinking so much while I'm on this holiday about like my body, how people are looking at me by the pool in my bikini, how I feel about myself, what I've learned about myself. I'm thinking about how many women like are sat at home feeling like shit about themselves because they don't look a certain way and how how awful that is. I was like, I just want to write a book. And uh, so I got home, uh, I spoke to my manager and I was like, I really want to write this book. And she pitched it to a couple of publishers and there was uh, an amazing lady called Beth um, at the publishing company. And we just got on like a house on fire and she championed me and it and it kind of went from there really. So I kind of feel like it was meant to be. Oh wow! Oh, I love that. Um, and you know what? I do think this is going to be a really big deal. This book because it just I, I already want to give it to everybody I know. As I said, I mean, I phoned my mom and was like, "Mom, you have to read the book." Like, oh, I've already <laughs> told my mom. I sat down with mom was like, "You're getting a copy. You're reading it." <laughs> oh, I so appreciate that because I I haven't done like much like press or promo for it just yet because it's not out yet. And um, I I am really really proud of it. I worked so hard on it. I spent like eight nine months on it. But I'm still like, I'm just going to be really honest and vulnerable with you guys because I think you're lovely. Like, I'm still oh, nervous you. about how it's going to be like received and if it's going to go down well and if it's going to like, because I don't really care how much it sells. I care about it helping people. But obviously my publishers are like, they want it to sell and do well and stuff <laughs> and meet targets and stuff. And I just, I hope it goes down well and I hope it gets received well. And it doesn't, people don't think I'm like promoting obesity with it or promoting like that you basically sit on the sofa and eat nothing but donuts all day because that isn't it and I'm you know I hope that comes across but that's um, clear if you read it so if anybody says otherwise they've not read it because it's just you know that's so clearly yeah if it if it helps rest some anxiety me and Ellie as guinea pigs adored it yeah absolutely adored it thought that it was it's one of the most impactful books I've read in a very long time and thank you I really appreciate that I think that it was really impactful for me, but as I was reading it, I just kept thinking, my mum needs to read this. I think that yeah. it'll be a real a, a saving grace for her because she feels diet culture so pervasively and so hurtfully. Mm. And as I mean, and the way that she speaks about herself and her body makes it breaks my heart because I love her so much that I wish you could see her how I see her. Yeah. But I think that reading your words and coming from someone that looks like my mum, she's also blonde um and I think that she'll just find it really healing and I think there'll be a lot of people across generations like that because obviously as as you're on Instagram your audience is largely going to be people sort of kind of our age a little bit older but they'll then want to pass the book on to the families the parents as well and I can see it really being for a lot of people something that really helps make it click that food isn't good or bad that movement is actually something we can't we don't need to be scared of anymore mm. oh god we got a little bit emotional oh, um, oh, Adam. but just that it's I think that you've created something that's gonna be very very healing for a lot of people and I'm very grateful to be one of the first people to read it thank you Me so too. much like, I feel a bit emotional now and I think um I don't know like maybe this sounds weird but like it's kind of given me a bit of a boost I think uh, like and like a spark back about the book and that I needed so thank you so much like I really really appreciate that I'm really grateful to you both you're so lovely yeah be excited about it it's amazing it's honestly it's a huge deal (laughs) yeah I am excited I'm just scared (laughs) oh just if if you send us a text and we'll be like 
Don't worry my heart about girls. it. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we've <laughs> yeah, read that's... it, so we can. Yeah. We can tell you the truth. <laughs> well, honestly, I could talk to you all day. I think you're so lovely. And yeah. I think you have so much just like, I don't know what to call it, but like there's so much comfort. So much warmth stardust. Yeah. <laughs> and that. Um, <laughs> but I think to, to close off, what would you say the main message you want readers to take away from the book is? What What is the final like thought that you'd want people to walk away with? I think I would just say to not waste your life wishing that you were smaller or that you looked different because it is honestly a waste of life it is not your life's purpose to be on a diet and to look like a victoria's secret model there is so much more to life no one is going to stand up at your funeral and say oh she wore size eight jeans and had a really great thigh gap um <laughs> what matters is who you are uh so it's time to stop hating yourself because you can never hate yourself into a version of yourself that you will like go grab life and live a full life whatever your size whatever your shape um because like life really is living and it's precious like so go live it it's a bit cheesy i know but no, it's perfect so it's like, not. i really do feel it's it like not. i do feel that's like, a mic not... drop i like yeah that's what i mean <laughs> i wasted so many years of my life missing out on opportunities and i just said a few years ago never again and that's what i want for other people to do is to say not doing that i'm going to say yes to things instead of saying no i'm going to live my life i'm going to wear that colorful dress i'm going to get my arms out i'm going to get my fupa out i'm going to live my bloody well life because it could be dead tomorrow the era of laura i love it (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you so much laura thank you guys Obviously, the book's out now for everybody listening. Where can they get it? So Waterstones, Amazon are probably your best place to get it. Um, And yeah, I just, I hope you love it. I hope it helps. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Um, Yeah, everyone, don't forget to get a copy of it. Do it. It's worth it. It will change your outlook on so many things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to find us, you know where to go, the newfeminist.co.uk for our website at TNF magazine for our socials, aside from Instagram, which is at the new feminist magazine. And that's it. Bye guys. Bye.